0: Today on The Matt Walsh Show, as war continues to rage in Ukraine, our media asks the important question, how will this affect trans people? Also, Joe Biden delivers his State of the Union speech. It was a pointless spectacle, aside from one significant moment that we will discuss today. Plus, Russia is banned from the World Cup. That sounds fine to me, but didn't we just hold the Olympics in China? There would seem to be some inconsistency here. Plus, in our daily cancellation, the creator of the 1619 Project gets herself canceled again, and I'll explain why it's a doozy. All of that and much more today on The Matt Walsh Show. So, what does our current out of control inflation look like? Looks like paying 47% more for fuel than a year ago. Looks like paying 41% more for the same used vehicle if you buy it this year instead of last. Looks like uh, almost 10% more to feed your family. Looks like every dollar in your savings is worth less than it was a year ago. But you can hedge against the US dollar by investing in something with real value gold and silver from birch gold. Precious metals have historically been a safe haven in times of inflation. And Birch Gold is the leader in converting IRAs and 401ks into tax-sheltered IRA backed by gold and silver. With thousands of satisfied customers and an a rating with the Better Business Bureau, Birch Gold can help you protect your savings. Text Walsh to 989898 to get a free info kit on gold. There's no obligation to get this info. Text Walsh to 989898 to get your free info kit now. So we're not going to begin the show today with an analysis of Joe Biden's State of the Union address, mostly because the State of the Union address was, as always, boring, pointless, and stupid. It's also grotesque to have to witness once a year the monarchic spectacle of an alleged public servant parading down the aisle to unearned adulation, walking up the platform only to deliver 90 minutes of propaganda interrupted by fits of scripted applause. The tradition ought to be abolished, but uh, it never will be because the presidency only attracts Narcissists and megalomaniacs, because those are the only kinds of people who would want to be president to begin with, and they're also the last sorts of people who would ever forego an opportunity like this. So we're stuck with it forever. There are those who will defend the State of the Union, saying that well, it's good to hear the president address the nation and you know give an update on how things are going, but these people have apparently not noticed that every State of the Union address ever delivered has ended with an assurance that the State of the Union is strong. You've never heard a State of the Union address where, at the end, the president says, in summation, we're screwed. So what an incredible coincidence that literally, no matter what is happening in our country, no matter what crises we're dealing with, the guy in charge always thinks that things are basically going well. We know that's what he's going to say. It's what he always says, and it politically is he's required to say it, so there's no reason to say it or for us to listen to it. There were, however, a couple of notable moments from the address, notable in the in the ways that were not intended, however, and we'll talk about them a little bit later. Instead today, I want to begin with um, a news item from CBS about the war in Ukraine. Only CBS is not focused on the aspects of the Ukraine situation that most people would be concerned about. They've put aside minor distractions like death, destruction, untold human misery, et cetera, and so forth, and they've zeroed in on what really matters. Here's the headline. A war within a war. A transgender woman says transphobia and discriminatory laws are keeping her hostage in Kiev during Russian invasion. Yes, we are lurching towards a cataclysmic global war. And if you think that's bad already, imagine how transgender people feel about it. Indeed, the worst thing about any potential nuclear holocaust is the impact it would have on the transgender community. The CBS report is quite harrowing. It reveals how the conflict in Ukraine has led to a misgendering crisis. It's like a genocide, but with pronouns. Let's read some of the article. It says, Zifamalu, that's the name, that I'm sure I pronounced correctly, was born and raised in Crimea, an area of Ukraine that was invaded and taken over by Russia in 2014. Now the 31-year-old lives in Kiev, the capital city that has been under Russian siege for nearly a week. She's running out of food and hasn't left her house for days as gunfire erupts outside. And she says she can't leave. Familu, who is transgender, said that transphobia is pervasive in the city and neighboring countries and fears that if she leaves, the tension of the ongoing conflict will make her more susceptible to violence. Famalu was previously a popular contestant on the Ukraine singing competition Star Factory. And Familou doesn't know what to do. Even if she doesn't face violence on her way to the border, she has no idea whether she'll even be allowed to leave the country. Quote, there's no way Ukrainian border poli- people uh, can let me through, she said. There's no way. If she makes it to the border of a neighboring country offering refuge, she's not even sure if they'll let her in, as her passport indication does not match her gender. Now, apparently the problem that Z faces is that he wants to flee, but Ukraine is not allowing males to leave because um, they're needed at home to fight and defend their country. And But he doesn't want to do that. He wants to leave with the women and children, uh, but he's running into the problem that technically he is neither a woman nor a child. The article continues, quote, For years, transgender people in Ukraine who want to be legally recognized had a long list of steps they had to go through to do so. According to Human Rights Watch, the government mandated that transgender people undergo extensive psychiatric observation and and, uh, undergo gender reassignment surgery to get legal documents that aligned with their gender. Legislation was introduced in 2017 to lessen the process, but still would require that transgender Ukrainians undergo outpatient psychiatric examinations. There is no indication that 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 legislation was ever implemented. Quote, I don't want to go through that. This is like humiliating for the world, Family said. I decided to keep my passport, keep mail in my passport, and now I cannot leave the country. But we're told Ukraine was bad for trans people even before war broke out. In fact, uh, we're told it was hell. Listen.
1: Sometimes we think it's just all a dream that we stuck in, inside some kind of a video game because you just, uh, you live uh, in a quiet society and then you hear bombings and then you wake up to the sound of bombings. I don't want to go outside. I'm literally scared for my life. All my friends left the city. My neighbors left my floor and I think my building. is not a very rainbow friendly place. So lives for trans people are very bleak here. If you have male gender in your passport, they will not uh let you go abroad they will not uh, uh, let you through a war within a war truly truly Every noise from outside is a warning sign. It was hell living as a trans person in Kiev in Ukraine. We feel invisible, truly, like we're not people, like we're not human. It's truly how we feel. You
0: know, um, I wonder if a ship was sinking and women and children were allowed to evacuate first and a man um, said he was a woman and tried to board one of the lifeboats out of turn would we pity him when he's caught and not allowed to get on the lifeboat? Or would we condemn him as a coward? These days, I'm not so sure. And there are a few takeaways from this bit of propaganda from CBS, and that's one of them. The, the, the trans agenda, as always, is intensely obsessively self-centered. Cities in Ukraine are in the process of being shelled and razed to the ground. And this person is not only trying to leave rather than def- than defend his home, but is also taking the opportunity to complain that there's not enough tolerance for his gender identity. Next, perhaps, we'll hear complaints that the Ukrainian government is failing to supply free hormone replacement therapy. You know, people also can't get food or other provisions because their cities are under siege. But um, let's, let's keep our priorities straight, you know? But this alleged lack of tolerance for trans people in Ukraine raises a larger point, I think. Ukraine, according to this report anyway, does not really accept transgenderism. Their culture rejects the philosophical notion that a person can change their gender simply by declaration. They'll still let you be recognized as a different sex if you undergo the operation and submit to psychological evaluation, a concession that goes farther than I would go if it were up to me. But generally speaking, they do not have the same attitude about gender that we, do, that we have in this country. And our media wants you to be shocked by that. But what they don't want you to realize or think about is that the vast majority of the world doesn't look at gender the way that people do in our society. We are the outlier, not Ukraine. Venture outside of Western culture, and you'll encounter a whole world that still believes males are men and females are women. The lion's share of the world's 8 billion people currently on Earth right now all live under this assumption and have always lived that way. Leftist gender ideology, just like CRT, which we'll discuss more later, is um, an incredibly insular specifically Western, uniquely modern phenomenon. Until about 60 years ago, it didn't exist at all, anywhere, here, or elsewhere. Now it exists in our culture, has taken over our culture, but most of the world has continued to see gender as it had always seen it. This is especially true, by the way, of non-white parts of the world. Ukraine is one thing. Go down into, say, Africa, and you'll find many places where transgenderism is truly invisible because it doesn't exist at all. We should stipulate then that gender ideology is insular, Western, modern, and mostly white. So here's the great irony. The left spends so much of its time militating against everything it perceives to be uniquely white and Western, and yet in reality, it is trying to spread those exact things across the world. Leftists in the West have been conducting their own invasion for many years all across the world attempting to export their half-baked and incoherent ideas to every corner of the globe into countries and regions that don't understand it, don't want it, don't need it. The CBS report is a call basically to extend that campaign into Ukraine. If the country survives the Russian invasion, it will now have to endure an invasion of a different sort, a philosophical one, a kind of ideological colonization, which will lead to a different kind of destruction, but nonetheless... Very real. Now let's get to our five headlines. You know, tax time is always stressful, but this stress can magnify if an identity thief steals uh, your info, files a bogus return, and pockets your refund. That's kind of insult, to injury. The IRS recommends electronic filing and using their pin tool for extra security. Other safety tips include looking out for phishing scams, um, checking your financial accounts regularly for unusual activity, and setting up two-factor authentication as well. Every day, the point is, we we put our information at risk on the internet. In an instant, a cybercriminal could steal what's yours, sometimes even harm your finances, your credit, your reputation. That's why it's a good thing there's LifeLock. LifeLock detects a wide range of identity threats, things you wouldn't be able to find on your own. Uh, like if if you're not checking the dark web for your social security number being for sale, that's what you need LifeLock for. If they detect your information has potentially been compromised, they'll send you an alert and you also have access to a dedicated restoration specialist if you do become a victim. So you get protection on both ends of this thing. Nobody can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses, but you can help protect what's yours with LifeLock by Norton. Join now and save up to 25% off your first year at lifelock.com slash Walsh. That's lifelock.com slash Walsh for 25% off. Okay, now we will begrudgingly head over to the uh, State of the Union Address. And uh, the, the, big, the big controversy today after the, about the State of the Union Address is uh, not anything that happened um, during this, you know on stage, as it were, but it's that um, there was an interruption, apparently by Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert, Bobert, uh, Congresswoman, who shouted something during the speech They kind of uh, heckled Joe Biden. And um, they shouted something about, specifically about the, I believe, the 13 U.S. service members who were uh, killed in Afghanistan. And they died because of the ham fisted way, the ham fisted, incompetent um, uh, way that Joe Biden handled the pullout from Afghanistan. And this is supposed to be a big, a big, uh, you know, big controversy. Is what? What a what a horrible thing for them to desecrate this sacred event by interrupting the president. Two things about that before we get to the speech itself. Number one, you know, I'm glad that somebody brought up those service members who were killed because Joe Biden wasn't going to talk about it, and you know, someone had to bring it up. And number two, the State of the Union is not some kind despite all of the pageantry that goes into it it is not a sacred holy event. who cares if they interrupted it? I wish it was interrupted more you know that that would at least make it more entertaining. I wish that there were people shouting the entire time we, we get the interruptions of of scripted canned applause yeah you know, every once in a while there's a boo but um yeah I wish that there were people shouting. The entire and I say that I don't care if it's if it's a Republican or Democrat because every year you get a you get a dumb controversy like this where you know there's always there's one person in the audience who interrupts who says something and it's true that it oftentimes if it's a Republican president who gets interrupted then um, you're gonna have outrage the next day from a lot of conservatives and say how dare you I I, I don't care this this event deserves no uh, You know, it it, it does not deserve our attention at all. It doesn't deserve our reverence. This is how politicians ought to be treating each other, I think. This kind of faux, putting aside even the issue of all the pageantry and the kind of the way that this is all a holdover from a kind of monarchy perspective, um, it's also the faux unity. Let's get everybody in a room together and we'll hear the president talk about how we're all united as one. We're not, we're not enemies of each other. He said that too. He said that at one point. We, we have to stop treating each other as enemies, which is an interesting quote coming from the guy who um, had just a few months ago said that PTA moms are domestic terrorists. And now he's saying we're not enemies. So the whole thing is a show. It doesn't mean anything. It's, a, it's, a, it's totally empty. I wish, I wish you should just be shouting the entire time, interrupting it, because that's the level of respect that it deserves, and also, again, it would make it a lot more entertaining for the rest of us. So, um, we'll move on to this. There was one moment of real honesty, I thought, in the speech itself, and let's play uh, clip 22.
2: We are also ready with antiviral treatments. If you get COVID nineteen, the Pfizer pill reduces your chances of ending up in the hospital by ninety percent. I've ordered more pills than anyone in the world has. Pfizer is working overtime to get us a million pills this month, and more than double that next month.
0: I've ordered more pills than anyone in the world has. That I believe. He he forgets to mention that they're mostly for, they're mostly for him and his own medicine cabinet. So that part I'll believe little bit of honesty there this part was less honest um as we got towards the end of the speech and joe biden finally um threw in the radical leftist stuff and uh with with democrats and state union addresses this is what they always do you know maybe god forbid one day when alexander Ocasio cortez is president or something then we're gonna get the full woke experience for the entire 90 minutes but um, that's not typically what Democrats do. They'll throw it in there, but it's in a very euphemistic way, and they just mention it and they move on because they know how actually unpopular these ideas are, especially if you talk about them in any kind of explicit way. So towards the very end, um, he threw in a bit about abortion, and listen, listen to the way that he, uh, that he talks about this. Listen. Listen. If you want to go forward, not backwards,
2: we must protect access to health care, preserve a woman's right to choose, and continue to advance maternal health care for all Americans.
0: Maternal health care for all Americans. Let's just stop and think about that for a minute. Now, a lot of euphemisms surrounding the abortion issue, because as I said, they can't talk about it honestly, they can't talk about it explicitly, they can't say what it really is. Which is that you are destroying a life, and that's not my opinion or my perspective. There's nothing subjective about that. That is what you are doing. That's why the women go and pay four hundred dollars to the abortionist. That's that's what the that's what the procedure is for: is to end a life. Because if if it was not if there was no life to end, then you wouldn't need the abortion. Um, and it is violent, and it is bloody, and it is painful for everybody involved especially the child is being killed um because of course in the abortion we don't recognize the child as being a human being so there's not even going to be any steps taken to make sure that the execution is painless for the child because if you take any of those kinds of steps then you're acknowledging that there's a life there that there's a a, a person and you can't do that so it is brutal and painful and awful and it's and barbaric so they're always covering in the euphemisms, and we hear a lot about the reproductive rights. This is about reproductive rights, reproductive health. As I always say about that, um, this has nothing to do with reproductive rights or reproductive health because um, abortion does not stop reproduction. You know, Abortion kills the child after the child has already been produced. So it's too late now to talk about reproduction. That's already happened. Cons- the, the, the reproductive act, the moment of reproduction, is at conception. You, you, you're not going to find any doctor or, si- or scientist who will tell you that uh, birth is reproduction. So that's usually what you hear, but, but now Joe Biden calls it maternal health care, which is just perverse and grisly. I mean, this this is this is pretty grim stuff maternal health care because you're you're acknowledging that the woman is a mother you're acknowledging that the child exists and that she's the mother and this is a this is a a maternal health care procedure so in a way that is a little bit more honest actually because at least you're acknowledging that this woman is a mother And when she gets the abortion, um, she's not gonna. This is. This isn't. You're not turning back the clock. You're not reversing anything. You're killing the child. Now she's the mother of a dead child. So in a way, I guess I would prefer. Now that I think about it, I'd prefer for them to use that euphemism of maternal health care than to call it reproductive rights. Because now at least you're, even if you don't mean to, you're admitting. That abortion is not a healthcare decision. It's not a medical decision. It's, a, it's really a parenting decision. You're making a decision as a parent to kill your child. Um, and then there was, I think, what this was probably the biggest moment of the speech uh, a moment of defeat. This is the moment, and it's really pretty incredible when you keep in mind what's happened over the last two years. This is the moment when the defund the police movement officially died. Listen. We should all
2: agree the answer is not to defund the police. It's to fund the police. Fund them. Fund them. Fund them with resources and training. Resources and training they need to protect our communities. I ask Democrats and Republicans alike to pass my budget and keep
0: our neighborhoods safe. Fund the police is now the applause line. And almost every Democrat in the auditorium there is uh, every Democrat in the audience is applauding, funding the police. With the exception of the squad members, they did sit on their hands and they didn't, they didn't applaud. But everybody else, they were on their, their feet saying, let's let's fund the police. Now, just for fun, let's go back and remember, uh, this is a compilation that's floating around on Twitter now, and it's actually about seven minutes long. We won't play the entire seven minutes, but here's a good 90 seconds of one Democrat after another talking about defunding the police. This is what the Democrats were saying, pretty much all of them, for the last two years. Listen.
1: So we've been talking about defunding the police. Uh, There's some issues that we ask police to do, like mental health issues or policing in schools and all the rest, that perhaps we can uh, shuffle some of that money around. Suck it up. Defunding the police has to happen. We need to defund the police. Mayor Eric Garcetti saying, take some of the money from policing, about $150 million. I applaud Eric Garcetti for doing what he's done. Not only do we need to disinvest for in police, but we need to completely dismantle the Minneapolis Police Department. So yes, defund your butts,
3: defund you. Yes, I support the reallocation of resources uh, from NYPD. We will be moving funding from the NYPD to youth initiatives and social services.
1: They are talking about reducing uh, the allocation of resources to that department. And I think every single city in this country ought to be thinking about the same thing. Yes, I support the defund movement. I'm for responsible reallocation of resources. And defund the police.
2: I think you do all those other things, you don't need all the money that's going in the police department. So yeah, I mean, the spirit of it, I, I, I do support that. Yeah, and you know, a lot of us were asked if we could imagine a future without police back in 2017 when we were running for office, and I answered yes to that question. We are going to reduce funding in the police department and redirect that money. There's no reason for the police budget should just keep growing and growing and growing.
0: I'm sorry, did uh, did Cory Bush say defund your butts? Did I hear that correctly? I mean, that I agree with. If anyone's butt is being funded by the government, I very much would want to see that funding reduced at, the, at a minimum. Um, but that's, that's the Democrats. And those are, again, that goes on for seven minutes. And that is not just the squad. I mean, the squad might be at the at the forefront of it. They're the ones leading this movement. And the rest of the Democrat Party, the establishment of the Democrat Party, uh, filed in behind them and let them lead. But these were the most prominent Democrats in the country, including Nancy Pelosi, both on the federal level, on the state level, local level. You know, mayors, governors, senators, con- uh, uh, congresswomen. This is—they were all saying, "Defund the police." And what do you know? It was a total disaster. Because it's not just that they—it's not just that they tried to actually defund the police for the last two years. They really did it. They, they actually implemented this policy in many cities, and we saw immediately the exact result that any rational person would expect. When you put fewer resources into enforcing the law, then you're going to have more anarchy, more chaos, more law-breaking, more people committing crimes. That's the equation. It's not a very complicated one. This isn't calculus. Calculus. But of course, rather than stand up there, there was no chance that Joe Biden, uh, who allegedly is this decent and honest man, uh, but the decent and honest Joe Biden, there was no chance that he would stand up there and say, hey, listen, we thought that defunding the police would work. It didn't. And we're sorry about that. And now we're going to go back to putting some resources into these police departments. He's not going to do that. Instead, it's just an applause line. Through one applause line, one applause line, Joe Biden erases the last two years of total disaster. And he's able to do it because he has the media on his side. All right, before we move on, um, in the run up to the State of the Union, Kamala Harris appeared on a radio show. And I just wanted to play this for you if you haven't heard it yet. Uh, She appeared on a radio show called The Morning Hustle. And she was asked to explain the Ukraine situation in layman's terms. Now, that is an important context here. In fairness, she was asked to, to explain it in layman's terms. And she apparently thinks that the average layman is uh, in preschool. Listen.
2: If you're watching any level of news, even social media, you're seeing everything that's going on right now in the Ukraine. Break it down in layman's terms for people who don't understand what's going on and how can this directly affect the people of the
3: United States.
1: So Ukraine is a country in Europe. It exists next to another country called Russia. Russia is a bigger country. Russia is a powerful country. Russia decided to invade a smaller country called Ukraine. So, basically, that's wrong.
0: (laughs) Russia is a big country. Ukraine is a little country. They're on a planet called Earth. Earth goes around the sun. The sun is hot. The sun is also really big you can't touch the sun it will burn thank you camilla harris uh, that is her breaking it down layman's terms that's also as deep as her own analysis and her own understanding of the issue goes so uh, let's make no mistake about that it's, it's not just her patronizing and thinking that americans are all a bunch of morons i mean she does think that but this is also she can't uh, l- listen to her on meet the press or something and it's going to be a very similar analysis as that. Okay, uh, moving on, we'll go over to uh, Ukraine. Well, well, Starting here, actually, with our energy situation. Pete Buttigieg, uh, I want to play this for you. And, and uh, speaking of euphemisms, you got to be able to sift through all of that to get to what's really being said here. Because Buttigieg has asked about the fact that, uh, well, we're dependent on foreign oil, uh, we're dependent on, on Russia, we, ex- we import um, 600,000 barrels a day. Uh, other European countries, especially dependent on Russia. So what can we do about that? And Buttigieg, his real answer, once you get through all the talking points and the lingo and everything and and the buzzwords, his real answer is that we should continue to intentionally weaken American oil in response to this. Let's listen to that.
3: Drill more, open up more U.S. land to drilling. What's the administration's response to that idea? Well, look, the the president has uh, laid out and taken a a number of steps, including addressing the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, uh, including diplomatic efforts to increase global oil production and other ideas that have been raised that are on the table because uh, everything deserves to be considered. But let's also be clear that we are in the middle of a long-term transformation. Uh, that is already fast underway especially when it comes to vehicles Uh, making electric vehicles more affordable for americans something that the president has proposed and is hoping congress will pass Uh, for example under the president's proposal uh, those pickup trucks that started about forty thousand dollars would have their prices actually down to the high 20s with the tax incentives we're proposing would allow more americans to capture the fuel savings that you get We don't know from year to year what will happen in the ups and downs of the global oil markets, but we do know that you are better off financially uh, and less subject to to maintenance and repair issues if you own uh, one of these vehicles. We want them to be American-made electric vehicles creating American jobs on American soil, and that's going to continue to be a policy priority for this department and administration, even as we're acting to provide more short-term relief.
0: Okay. All right. It's probably more of that than we needed. On second thought, uh, because there's really only one word that you need to hear. Uh, put, putting everything else aside, peel all had away. Uh, the only word that matters there is the word transformation, and that's what that's what you always have to look out for. Is he's he's saying, "Well, this is a this is a transformation," and this is what the left always does. Democrats always do. They're always looking for a moment of crisis um, in order to use it to help transform America, and that's that's always their mission. It's never about preserving anything. It's never about saving. It's always about transforming and uh, changing it, right, in in their image, mutating, maybe be a better word. And so that's really his answer, is that this is our opportunity to transform energy, which in other words means to make American oil weaker, to destroy the industry, and uh, again, reshape society in their image. Now, let's go to this from Yahoo. It says, uh, Russia will be barred from the 2022 Men's World Cup and other international sports competitions after FIFA and the International Olympic Committee levied extraordinary sanctions in response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. FIFA, soccer's global governing body, um, and UEFA, the sports European governing body, announced Monday that they have banned all Russian national teams and clubs from all competitions until further notice. The suspension will likely remove Russia from March's World Cup qualifying playoffs and end its hopes of um, earning a berth at the most prestigious tournament in the international sport. Now, if you want to ban Russia from the World Cup, fine with me. Where it works for me, sounds good. Um, In fact, you could go even farther than that, and how about ban all countries from the World Cup, and ban everybody from soccer, and just get rid of soccer entirely. I think that's probably the best thing that we could possibly do. But if you're not going to do that, you want to ban Russia, great. I'm, I'm all for it. But I can't help but notice that this is happening only, what, two weeks after the conclusion of the Olympics? The Olympics, which were held in China? China, which is a country that is certainly guilty of, not only guilty of its own rampant human rights abuses, but also there's the the little detail about the fact that uh, China unleashed, created, it seems, and unleashed a virus on the world that killed 5 million people. And so after China has unleashed a virus onto the globe infected the globe with a virus that killed 5 million people it not only was allowed to attend the olympics but but it it hosted the olympics and every other country showed up and we all played games together and had fun oh but there was a there was a diplomatic boycott so some of the american diplomats they didn't show up and i'm sure that their presence was sorely missed, and China—they they really had their feelings hurt about that, I'm sure. But we still showed up there. So once again, you know, we're getting tough with uh, Russia when it comes to some of these things, anyway. It's still not not all that tough because we're you know, we're still importing all the oil. We're going to dump the vodka down the drain, but still import the oil. But um, in spite of that, when it comes to China still hosting the olympics we went to the olympics and there was almost there was almost no discussion about it that's what blew my mind the entire time there was some discussion about the human rights issue which is good there was at least discussion about the fact that china commits all these human rights abuses but that to me was like the less relevant point compared to the fact that they that they created this virus in a laboratory and and let it go into the world and killed 5 million people and that detail, when it comes to the Olympics, wasn't even talked about. Just uh, absolute hypocrisy and moral inconsistency. All right, um, let's go to this. This is a, a local news report in Seattle. We go from uh, China, Russia, Ukraine. Let's go back to the United States where there are some things happening here that I think um, deserve our attention. A, lo- a local news reporter in Seattle took a drive downtown over the weekend to show what a typical evening in Seattle looks like, we have that. Um, okay, here's this is this is Seattle, and this is not the set of a zombie apocalypse film. This is not Walking uh, the Walking Dead. This is actually an American city, and you just see trash, garbage littered everywhere, people using drugs in the middle of the street, uh, people hunched over like zombies under the influence of, uh, of drugs. Look at that. I mean, this, this is what American cities look like right now. This is not just, oh, that's one street in one city. That is one street in one city, but uh, many streets in many cities look exactly like this, if not worse. This is what is happening in America. What you're watching is the full-scale collapse of American cities and American civilization as well. So at a certain point, maybe we should have some concern about that. Maybe we should start talking about that. Maybe we should actually try to fix that. You know, I, I was watching the State of the Union last night and I saw all these lawmakers, both uh, both Republicans and Democrats, were um, carrying Ukraine Ukrainian flags. And some of them were decked out you know, it's like they were at a soccer match or something and they were decked out and even more than that, there was like, I think I saw some people face paint or something and just, they had the pins and everything for Ukraine, showing their support for Ukraine. Which, all right. But you just don't see that kind of concern and patriotism for our own country. Just like our politicians are very, very concerned about the borders of Ukraine, protecting the borders of Ukraine. Those same politicians have basically no concern at all for our own borders. This is one of the reasons why we can't get sucked into conflicts across the globe. There are a lot of reasons. One of them is that it will result in thousands, if not millions, of American deaths. But the other is we just can't afford it in in any way. We, we are not in a position, unfortunately, to go solve the world's problems. I wish that we were. I wish that that was possible. I wish that we were doing so well that we could afford to do that. But we're not. Because what you just saw, that, that's what our cities look like right now. They're collapsing. And we think we can fix the whole world? We can't even fix Seattle. Maybe that's where our focus should be. All right, before we get to uh, the comment section, I wanted to read this. This is from Gulf News. It says... His Highness Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid al-Maktoum, Vice President, Prime Minister of the UAE and ruler of Dubai, on Tuesday inaugurated the Museum of the Future, which is being called the most beautiful building on earth. Dubai's new iconic landmark officially opened its doors to the world with a new message of hope for all mankind. Now, this is being hailed, at least in Dubai, as the most beautiful building on earth. Let's take a look at this. There it is. That is... That's the most beautiful building in the world. It looks like a giant misshapen donut. Or maybe like a very large piece of playground equipment. My my kids would love to climb that thing. I think that's that's one thing I can say for it. But is this the most beautiful building in the world? If we're talking about modern buildings, like buildings that have been built in the last 20 or 30 years, then it's, it's in the running only because modern buildings are almost always hideous. Because at some point, we decided, this is part of our the collapse of our civilization, we decided to stop building beautiful things, especially beautiful buildings. And it didn't used to be that way. You know, we, we used to strive to make every building beautiful. We used to strive to make everything beautiful that we could. Have you ever been inside like a, a post office that was built 85 years ago? Even just standard government buildings um, before modern times were beautiful. Until modern times. That's not the case anymore, but before that, I mean, buildings either had grandeur and majesty and a certain kind of drama to them, or else they were quaint and they had character. These days, everything is bland and workmanlike, and when someone goes out of their way to build something with visual appeal like that, whatever that monstrosity is, it ends up being something like that, like a, a giant Krispy Kreme donut, because we've given up on beauty. You know, when you give up on beauty, that means you're also giving up on truth, and I think we're experiencing that in our culture as well. Now let's get to our comment section.
1: Who makes a Twitter mob fly off the handle with rage? Who's to blame? It's a sweet baby gang.
0: Okay, I have to mention this um, to give some credit to a, a member of the sweet baby gang. You know, I, I mentioned on the show a couple days ago how um, I am... Uh, a, not the most talented athlete, but I am at least very good at, um, at at beating my kids in basketball. Like I, I can, I, I probably can't measure up against anybody else, but when it comes to squaring off against my eight-year-old kids, I, um, I'm, am I'm a champion. And I think we have that clip just to remind ourselves of that. Let's play that. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll go outside to my driveway and and I'll play basketball against my kids. But I can't derive any real meaning out of the fact that I win. And I do always win, because I never let them win. No one's going to give me a trophy for being undefeated against eight-year-olds in one-on-one basketball. I'd take that trophy if someone gave it to me, because it'd be hilarious, but no one is offering it. Well, I thought no one was offering it, but as it happens, a member of the Sweet Baby Gang (laughs) actually went and made me a trophy. Matt Walsh, basketball champion of eight-year-olds. He... Someone made this trophy for for me, delivered it to the office, and so there it is. And uh, I have to tell you, and this will be proudly displayed in my office. You know, every other trophy that I own is a participation trophy from Little League. And I have like nine of them because I participated in Little League nine times, if you can believe it. Um, and, I, and I, of course, still proudly display those as well. But this trophy is actually the most meaningful award that I've ever received. It, it actually is. It's the first one I've really earned, which tells you something about how incredibly pitiful my life has been and what a mediocre, sad sap I am. Still, you you take the accolades wherever you can get them. And the fact remains that I am undefeated against my kids in basketball. And that includes, by the way, one-on-one, around the world, horse. I've never lost. Check back in like two years, and we'll see if that still is the case. Um, Let's see... Austin says, of both of Matt's talents, both, his best by far is his commitment to mispronouncing names of people he doesn't respect. Well, thank you. Thank you for for noticing. That is, uh, well, that's my talent and my other one is uh, defeating eight-year-olds in basketball. So I need a trophy for that as well. Commenter McCommentface says, Zelensky is the new Andrew Cuomo for March 2020. A bunch of resistance wine moms cheering for nuclear annihilation because Zelensky is cute and they hate Trump. Supposed Putin lover... So stupid. Yeah, you know, here's, here's the thing with the reaction to Zelensky. I obviously, Zelensky is defending his homeland, as he should. Um, but it does really rub me the wrong way, the way that people are, a lot of people in this country, are watching this unfold and engaging it. It's like it's like they think they're watching an actual movie. They think it's a reality show. There were some, I just saw some New York Post article about... Um, and it said that uh, fans have been debating which Hollywood actor should play Zelensky when they make a movie about him. Fans, fans of what? A war? War has fans now? So that's what uh, what I find so disgusting and inappropriate. And also, look, Zelensky. I mean, he's he's been out there trying to push the rest of the world, the Western world, to get involved on his behalf, on the behalf of U- Ukraine. He wants the no-fly zone. I mean, yesterday he sent out a tweet where he was comparing it to, uh, you know, he, he was evoking the Holocaust and said that, hey, uh, Western countries, you said never again, but, uh, but where are you now? And, and once again, I understand why he would do that. I mean, if I was in his position, I would do the same thing. I would be trying to get the rest of the world to come help because I care about protecting my own country. But he's thinking about Ukraine. He cares about Ukraine, not, not America. And if it were up to him, we would get sucked into this thing, even if it results in thousands or millions of American deaths. And that's another reason for us to remain keep our, our head on straight when we're watching this and we're analyzing it. Not to get swept up in emotion, get caught up in war fever, start looking at this like it's a movie or something. Because the rest of the people involved in this, they have their own interests, as they should. Okay? And that's what they're concerned about. Um, People in Ukraine, they're concerned about Ukraine. Which is why we in America, we need to keep our interests in mind also. Because nobody else is going to. If we are not focused on protecting America, and if we are not focused on American interests, then no one else is going to be focused on that. If that's not our first priority, it won't be anybody's first priority. And this is the kind of thing you don't need to say. That's the kind of discussion that, you, that probably doesn't happen in most other countries across the globe. You wouldn't need to actually say that, hey, you know, we should prioritize our own country first. You wouldn't need to say because it's just obvious. Well, of course we're going to do that. Only in America and other Western countries is this even a discussion. Um, let's see. And uh, finally, okay, Tony D.H. says, Matt, what book are you reading right now? I'm reading In the Heart of the Sea. It's called The the Tragedy of the Whale Ship Essex is the subtitle. It's actually the story that Moby Dick uh, was based on, or at least that uh, Melville was inspired by. And it's about a whaling ship in 1820 that leaves Nantucket, and it sails all the way down around South America and ends up in the Pacific. And it's killing whales the whole time. And just that right there is, you know, enough fodder for a good book. I mean, the life that a 19th century whaler lived, willingly lived, is uh, extraordinary. Exciting, bleak, brutal. I mean, if you can imagine, like, trying to kill a whale in the middle of the ocean uh, with 19th century technology. And you have to somehow tow the whale on board and, and harvest it for oil. Just what, what everything that went into that. And then, anyway, eventually when they're out in the ocean, they get attacked by a whale. They're stranded out in the ocean. They have to survive over thousands of miles. It's a great book, and I would really recommend it. You know, in case you haven't noticed, The Daily Wire does not stop growing. And our latest show, Crane & Company, is just more evidence to back that up. Crane & Company is a daily sports show hosted by former athletes and coaches Jake Crane, Blaine Crane, and David Cohn. And their joining forces with The Daily Wire to bring you all the sports you love with none of the woke nonsense attached. When you tune into Crane & Company, you'll be getting in-depth sports analysis, informative interviews, predictions and wagers, and constant live chat engagement with fans. Tune in live today at 3 p.m. Eastern and every weekday at dailywire.com or on YouTube. You can also listen as a podcast on Apple Podcasts or your platform of choice. And make sure to subscribe and give the show five stars if you like what you hear as well. Also i um, got to let you know that, uh, look, no book is too controversial for the Daily Wire. That's why we, we started our own publishing wing called DW Books. And we're excited to be publishing 12 Seconds in the Dark by Sergeant Mattingly. It's the true story of what really happened the night of the tragic Breonna Taylor shooting. Mattingly, a 20 year police veteran, uh, takes readers inside his department's response and debunks the lies that have recklessly been shared with the public. Uh, check out the trailer here. It was very chaotic, it was very quick. Instantly, I knew I was shot. Breonna Taylor, she was caught in the crossfire of those bullets. As soon as your brain's registering, it's already over. The media got so many things wrong in this case, saying we had the wrong apartment, her name wasn't on the warrant, she was shot and killed in her sleep, in her bed. These are lies. This is not true, and all the while, you're hearing all these outside influences from athletes
1: and Oprah and Ellen DeGeneres and Kamala Harris and Joe Biden, all those people
3: coming and attacking you, putting your name on their account, saying he should be in prison, all these things
0: that they have no idea what they're talking about. But they have such influence. The more we attack police for doing their job, the less good qualified police you're going to have. When you read 12 Seconds in the Dark, you will find out the truth of what really happened the night of the Breonna Taylor raid. Now, in a world where voices like his are censored, this story is incredibly important, and we're so grateful to have this brave truth teller on board. The book releases March 15th, but it's available for pre-order now on Amazon or anywhere you buy books online. So go get your pre-ordered copy today because I promise you it will sell out and you don't want to miss this book. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. So this has been in my cancel pile for a few days. Uh, I almost let it go because time had passed, but I can't because there are things in life which are destined for the daily cancellation. This is one of them. It also fits in a nice kind of symmetrical way with what we talked about to start the show, Uh, the left trying to interpret world events through their very narrow insular lens. That brings us to Miss Nicole Hannah-Jones, who's the um, New York Times journalist who brought us the 1619 Project. She won a Pulitzer Prize for her work on that piece of thoroughly debunked agitprop, because a Pulitzer these days is about as meaningful as a Teen Choice Award or a Nobel Prize. And maybe she'll win one of those awards or all three for her commentary on the Ukraine crisis. As far as that goes, Jones is in a little bit of a tough spot because her mind is a vehicle with only one gear. It's a menu with just one option, a buffet where every dish is the same. She has one setting, one lens for viewing the world, and it's the racialized lens of CRT. The problem is that a war between Ukrainians and Russians would seem to fall outside of the CRT framework. These are two groups of Europeans fighting in a region of the world 6000 miles away. CRT has no insight to offer about such a conflict because CRT is, among other things, incredibly narrow and blinkered in its view of the of, of race and of the world. In fact, it basically ignores the entire rest of the world and pretends that everywhere is just like the modern United States. This is how CRT disciples can, for example, claim that non-white people cannot be racist because uh, racism is power plus prejudice, and non-white people don't have institutional power. Which is obviously false, even as it pertains to this country, but it's even more false across the, mess, the rest, uh, much of the rest of the world. Filled with countries where all of the institutional power is held by non-white people. There are no whites holding institutional power in China. Does that mean there's no racism in China? That would certainly come as a shock to anybody who's ever spent time in that country. But these are the the limitations of the modern American race hustler. And it's why Jones had to struggle and stretch to find a way to make the Ukraine situation fit into her preconceived mold. And this was the best she could do. So in a series of tweets last week, Jones made the case that the concern for Ukraine in this country stems from anti-black racism. She tweeted, quote, every journalist covering Ukraine should really, really look internally. This is why I say we should stop pretending we have objectivity. And instead, acknowledge our biases so that we can report against them. Many of us see the racialized analysis and language. Honestly, these admissions of shock that this is happening in a European country are ahistorical, and also serve to justify the lack of sympathy for other invasions, other occupations, and other refugee crises involving peoples not considered white. Now, don't, go, don't, don't worry; it gets much better. By that I mean, by that I mean worse. She says, "What if I told you Europe is not a continent by definition?" but a geopolitical fiction to separate it from Asia. And so the alarm about a European or civilized or first world nation being invaded is a dog whistle to tell us that we should care because they're like us. To be clear, we should care about Ukraine, but not because it's European or the people appear white or that they're civilized and not impoverished. All people deserve to be free and to be welcomed when their countries are at war. Now, okay. Let's first engage with this idea that Europe is not a continent. She would later go on to explain that, quote, the entire continent is either Asia or Eurasia, I suppose. That's not up to me. I'm just stating a fact about what defines a continent. Yeah, just stating facts, sure. The interesting thing about this fact is that it not only is not a fact, but even if it was a fact, it would still be totally irrelevant. Let's pretend for a moment that Europe isn't a continent. Okay, I mean, how does that at all impact, one way or another, the relevance of the war in Ukraine? But Europe is a continent, Because a continent, by definition, is, quote, any of the world's main continuous expanses of land. Europe is one of the the Earth's main continuous expanses of land, and so it's a continent. Now, perhaps she thinks that it's not a continent because it's, it's connected to other continents. But if that's the case, then the only pure continents in the world are, I guess, Australia and Antarctica. The rest of us exist in a giant muddled mass of connecting expanses of dirt and rock. It's true that the lines distinguishing Europe from Asia were invented by human beings. The lines are drawn on a map. They aren't carved into the actual ground for the most part. But that doesn't make the lines fictional. I mean, dragons and unicorns are fictional. Europe is real. You can go visit it. I mean, there are certain parts of it that I would avoid for now, but you you could go. Besides, if Europe is a fiction, then so is Africa. That continent and all of its countries have also been defined by lines that human beings have drawn. In this sense, race is kind of a fiction too. People have different skin colors in reality, but we as human beings are the ones who decided to label those colors and imbue them with deeper significance. Yet, Nicole Hannah-Jones and her CRT comrades would say that it's racist to try and erase race in that way. It used to be considered progressive and politically correct to say that you're colorblind and Uh, You know, you you don't see race and race isn't real. That that used to be the the progressive thing to say. Now, that is itself a racist claim, according to the prophets of CRT. This is the problem with um, the people who go around labeling everything a social construct. They set the precedent that a thing is meaningless if it's a construct, but they're unwilling to apply that precedent consistently. So what about the rest of her claim? She says that we only care about Ukraine because uh, they're white. Well, that's clearly absurd. Just a few months ago, the big story was the situation in Afghanistan and the disaster that unfolded because of the way that Joe Biden handled the pullout there. People were quite concerned about the plight of Afghans who are not white. Now, it's true that the concern didn't seem to last that long, but it won't last in Ukraine either. People are led by the media to care about one thing and then another, then another, as the media jumps from one lily pad to the next. There's plenty to be said about this pattern of intense yet fleeting focus on one thing at a time in rapid succession, but you certainly can't call it racist. Now, since we're on the subject of prejudice, I should mention that this past weekend in DC, a Russian restaurant called Russia House was vandalized and spray painted with anti Russia messages. Meanwhile, people are dumping their vodka down the sink. Prominent members of Congress like Eric Swalwell have actually proposed rounding up all the Russian students in the United States and kicking them out listen to this congressman you you say a pull from a menu of options but we heard from a former dni clapper uh, less than an hour ago it says uh, the time for and i'm paraphrasing here proportionality incrementalism is over we heard from the former defense secretary uh william cohen dump all the full gauntlet of potential sanctions on putin why not do that everything we do has to be aligned uh, with our allies and the fact that we were able to get the germans to stop this pipeline that's huge that's u.s leadership uh, on the international stage Uh, and so we want to move with our allies in nato but also countries like japan who can you know take quite uh, swift and severe actions against uh, russia but yes on the table should be sanctioning putin personally, uh, completely taking them out of the European and international banking system, which is known uh, as SWIFT. Frankly, I think closing their embassy in the United States, uh, kicking every Russian student out of the United States, uh, those should all be on the table. And Vladimir Putin needs to know every day that he is in Ukraine, uh, there are more severe options uh, that could come. Now, after 9-11, which was an attack on our actual country, We heard and have continued hearing quite a lot of outcry about alleged Islamophobia. After China unleashed a virus on the world that killed hundreds of thousands of our own people, there was an outcry against anti-Asian hate. Now, are we going to hear similar denouncements of anti-Russia hatred? Will the media follow these kinds of stories with the same feverish interest? Will people of Russian descent be granted victim class status? The answer is no, of course. How does that fit in with Nicole Hannah-Jones' theory? According to her narrative, discrimination against white people ought to provoke the the most outrage, given that she says we only care about white people. And yet the opposite proves true once again. That's because her narrative is divorced from reality entirely. She may not know much about geography, but we must admit that she is an expert on fiction. And that's why today, Nicole Hannah-Jones is once again canceled. And we'll leave it there for today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. (laughs) Our associate producer is McKenna Waters. The show is edited by Robbie Dantzler. Our audio is mixed by Mike Cormina and hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2022.
3: Today on the Ben Shapiro Show, a barely conscious Joe Biden gives a completely disconnected and discombobulated State of the Union address. We will go through every excruciating detail. Give it a listen.